Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled A Reasonable Trade was given by Bill Dobtrum and is the 26th in our series, The Kingdom. We're uh, continuing in in, uh, our series in the Gospel of Mark, uh, what happens when kingdom confronts chaos. And so we're in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Does anybody need a, a copy of the Bible for us this morning? We've got a few around the edges, and if you do, just stick your hand up and somebody will try and get one to you quickly. No? Good. All right. Um, we are on page 820 in the uh, version we're using here, uh, Mark chapter 8, and, and we're going to pick up the, the passage where we were last week. Uh, it, really at verse 31 is going to be where it really starts to dig in, but I want to kind of reset context because this, as you know, whenever you do theology from narrative, which is what we're doing, uh, you have to kind of get context in order to make sense of what's going on. And so um, we're in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, as far away as we possibly can from the political centers of power. Jesus is flying under the radar screen of people's expectations uh, of, of what it means for him to be uh, who he is. Uh, people are constantly pressing their um, image of who they want him to be. Because here's the deal. If you don't get that you are created to be God's image, you will constantly be a- creating God in your image. You will constantly be pressing upon God what your best self would be. Uh, and, and Jesus is pushing back against that. Uh, he, he invites us into a different, different sense of that. So, strange miracle. Last week we talked about a guy who got uh, kind of partially healed, was seeing people as trees walking around, required a second touch in order to see with clarity. Then we come into this story of who do you say that I am? And Peter says, seeing but not seeing clearly, you are... You are the Messiah. You're, we, we get who you are in, 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 in light of everything that everybody else is saying about you. You're John kind of reincarnated, come, come back from the dead. You're, you're the Elijah that we are expecting before Messiah comes. Or maybe you're the great prophet like Moses returned to generate an, 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 a nationalism again. We don't... We, no, no, we get. You're, you're, you're Messiah. But because... Even the disciples' expectation of Jesus was so tweaked by their nationalism, so uh, distorted by their hopes and expectations, they instantly begin to push back when Jesus defines what it means for him to be Messiah. And that's where we, 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 we run up against this today. So we're in verse 31, Gospel of Mark. Um, Let's pick it up. Verse 27, I'm sorry. Uh, Just listen to me on this, and then Alyssa will flash it up when we get to 31. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea. Who do people say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. He asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah. Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. He must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. 
He said all this quite openly. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. A lot of rebuking going on here. And said, get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then he called the crowd together with his disciples and said to them, if any one of you wants to be my followers, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. What profit is it for them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can you give in return for your life? So those of who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of, the son, of them, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Look, this is, this, is, this is kind of the center of the gospel, right? I mean, this is, if you haven't taken your shoes off in the gospel of Mark yet because you're on holy ground, that's where we are today. We're in this, just this, this moment of, of we're peering down between our toes into the very center of, of the universe, right? So this is a, a significant moment. And I want you to notice the resistances. How, how many of you resonate with Peter on this? When do you think he stopped listening to Jesus? Listen, listen to how this goes. You are the Messiah. Don't tell anyone what I told you. Then he began to teach him that the Son of Man, which is his favorite self-designation, that's how he refers to himself, right? That I, that I have to undergo. You, the Messiah, don't tell anyone. I have to undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and after three days rise again. When did they stop listening to Jesus? I think they stopped listening as soon as they said, you're the Christ. You, you know what I mean? Because once you've said that, what else is there to say? I know who you are. I know what you came for. We're good to go. And then Jesus says, no, in order for me to be the Christ, I have to undergo great suffering. Na, 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 na. Right? I have to be rejected i have to be betrayed i have to be turned over not just by you all but by the chief priests the guys who you count on to represent you to god and represent god to you they will reject me the scribes the ones who are the experts in the old testament law the ones who you have counted on your whole lives to tell you what is legitimate and appropriate and, a, and, and right from God, they will reject me. I'm going to be killed, guys. And after that, three days later, I'm going to rise again. By the time he got to the three days later, I'm going to rise again, they, had, they, they, they were on a bus out of town. Do you know what I mean? They had, because who are these people? They are his 
disciples, which means that they are following him. So where is he going? To suffer. And where are we going? Well, if I'm his follower and he's going to suffer, there's a pretty good chance there may be some of that for me. Right? If he's going to be rejected, there's a good chance I'm going to be rejected. If he's going to be killed, there's a good chance I'm going to be killed. If he's going to be resurrected, there's a good chance I'm going to be resurrected. Apparently, there are worse things that can happen to a person than to die. But we're not even able to listen to that. We're not even able to hear that. We can't in the moment possibly conceive of something better than the declaration we just made, you're the Messiah, can I finally now get measured for my throne? I want to ride with you into Jerusalem and take over this place. I want you finally to bless what I want accomplished all along. How many know how what this feels like? You know, it's just, oh, man. And Jesus is telling them, I mean, I love this phrase here. He was telling them this, verse 32, quite openly. Jesus has talked in parables before. He's used narrative before. He's, he, he's taught by performance art, if you will, his miracles and so on and so forth. You know, they're subject to interpretation, but at the end of the day, Jesus is just saying this flat out. This is black and white. This is the way it's going to be. Nobody can misunderstand what he is saying at this point, which is the problem. So Peter, who has seen things kind of blurrily, right? You're the Messiah. Now sees very clearly that Jesus needs some help because he clearly is out of touch with what it means for him to be Messiah. And so he rebukes him. This is as strong a language as Mark ever uses in conversation of one person to another. This is what Jesus does to demons. This is what Jesus does to his disciples in a few verses later when they don't let children come to him. This is coming out of the very center of his gut. This is not just an intellectual, can we talk about this? This is a please. And I love, I love how he does this. You see this in verse 32? Jesus, Peter took him aside. I love that little touch. It's like Jesus is saying, I got a da 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 and Jesus, uh, don't be talking like that. That can't be what it is for Messiah to come. We all know what it means for Messiah to come. We get who you are. What in the world are you talking about? Dying and suffering and high priestess and scribe that. Come on, get with the program. Right? Here are your lines. Read them. Can you feel his tension? Because Peter's starting to get what's going on here. And Jesus Seeing that Peter is not speaking alone, he looks over Peter's shoulder and sees the other guys saying, You go, Peter! You tell him! 
we, we're with you, guy, right? We voted on this, Jesus. It, it, it was 12 to none. Peter seeing, or Jesus seeing that pushes back his heart against Peter as Peter is pushed back against him and uses very strategic language. Get behind me. And he uses a Hebrew Hebraism, Satan. And I, I, I know I'm pronouncing it in a way that you're unfamiliar with. That's partly because what we have done is taken the, name, taken the word Satan and made it a name, Satan. It's not a name. It's a role. It's a function. It means adversary. It means opponent. Peter is not here by Jesus being called the devil incarnate or being called Satan. He's saying, Peter, you are serving in the role of an opponent to me. You are on the wrong side of this conversation. Peter, if you stand in front of me this way, I'm going to go right through you. Get behind me. You know your place. Get behind me. He's not saying, get behind me, Satan, and don't tempt me. He's saying, stop being an adversary to me. Because, Peter, much as I love you, if I have to go through you to get to the cross, I'm going. Do do, do you see what's cooking here? Right? And so he puts Peter in his place. By the way, if you ever need to know where your place is, it's behind Jesus following, not in front of Jesus pushing. Right? So here he goes um, and, and says to him, your mind is not on divine things, but on the things of man. Okay, here's, here's the deal. What does Peter want Jesus to do? According to the way this is unpacking here, Peter wants Jesus to bless Peter's aspirations of what Messiah is going to be. They're political. They involve getting Rome out and so on and so forth. In other words, Lord, bless me. I want Jesus to come, as I I said, I want Jesus to come as icing on the cake of my otherwise perfectly good life. I want a little STP, a little additive to my life. I want just a little bit more. I, I, I recognize all of the things. My life is pretty good, but I need a little Jesus just to make it work. And Jesus is just saying, time out. You're so wrong, you don't even know how wrong you are, bud. Your mind is set entirely on the wrong kinds of things. Remember, you're built to live in this thin space between the material and the spiritual. I built you for that. You're a soul. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You are built to live with a heart set on fire by the heavens. You are built to live with a love for the earth like my own great love for the planet. You're built to live that way. But if you don't get your mind straight, you're going to end up in the ditch of the natural world. Set your mind on the things of God and you get the planet too. Set your mind on the things of the planet 
you get neither God nor the planet. Your mind is set in the wrong direction. And then he gathers not just his disciples. Remember in Mark, we've already talked about this, how important it is to notice who, what, who Jesus says what to. So he's been talking to his disciples, and now he gathers the crowd around them, and as he goes on teaching them this, he says to his disciples and the crowd, if any of you now want to be my followers... You need to get measured for a cross too. You've got to deny yourselves too. I'm not coming to make your life better. I'm coming to kill you. I don't want to, I don't want to just kind of improve your marriage and help your kids turn out right and fund your 401k. I don't want to do that. I want to take over the planet. Are you with me? Because if you are, it will cost you your dreams, your hopes, your ambitions, your desires. It will cost you everything that you think is your life. I don't want to simply put a little nice charge on your otherwise perfectly respectable life. What good is it if you gain your whole world and lose who you are? Now, I need you to notice something here. Jesus is not asking them for sacrifice. He thinks he's doing them a favor. He thinks he is offering them the best deal that they've ever had. Because Jesus knows something about the paltry, tiny, insignificant, meaningless life that they call life. And he wants them to lay that down with his pretensions and its arrogance and its pride and receive life from the heavens that he alone can bring. He wants them to come fully alive. And as long as you're afraid of death, you will never live. So he says to them, come on, guys. He doesn't say it with seriousness. He says, come on to the party. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to get rejected. We're going to suffer. We're going to die. It's going to be so cool. Because that's the road to resurrection. That's the road to life. That's the road to world domination. That's why I came in the first place. My father wants all of his children home in time for dinner. Are you with me? Do you, do you, do you see what he's after here? This is, this, and, and we've heard this, is, oh, take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus is just promising you bitter herbs and pain and disappointment and everything you want God just says no to because he wants to squash you like that. That's the way he is. No. He wants you to have life and that more abundantly. And instead we're sitting in the corner of the play yard and C.S. Lewis's words consuming our mud pies thinking we have it all because we have a 401k and a two-car garage and a white picket fence nothing wrong with any of those things but if your mind is set on those material things you lose everything you lose everything 
including the enjoyment of those things. Do you see? If you haven't learned contentment without, how do you think you're going to be content with? Withness will just mask your discontent. That's all it'll do. You'll just find different ways of medicating yourself to the point of not noticing the great gaping hole at the center. And Jesus gets that. This is is why He says, Come on down. I got a cross for you. It's custom made. Get measured up. Take it up. I'm being a little silly here, but not much. I, I, I get how hard this is. Jesus did not skip to the cross. I, I get that. But I think we need to get where he's going and decide if we are going to be his followers or not. Because this has huge implications. This has huge implications for how the, everybody in this room spends the rest of your life. Huge. How you spend your money, how you negotiate your singleness or your marriage, how you, how you manage your sexuality, how, do you, how, how you handle your stuff, your relationships. Everything, everything, everything. This is, this, is, this is the Holy Grail right here. Where Jesus says, I get you. I really do. I get what you're about. I know what you want but I'm not going to bless your mess and cover it over with icing so you don't realize the rot at the center. Will you lay it down so I can give you new life? Will you do that? Will you do that? Because, he says, what can you give in return for your life? And then he turns a corner here. Because remember, Jesus is about inviting us to become partners with him. Remember? He wants us to become people that he can trust, to empower, to do whatever you want. So he says, if, you're, if, 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 if this is shameful to you, if, if you're ashamed of me, of what I'm really calling, you, don't, you clearly don't get it. I'm, I'll be ashamed of you. When I come in my glory with my Father. It means different things in different places in the world, doesn't it? This week I was reading of a, of a pastor in, in uh, Iraq. Pastors a church in Baghdad. Small church. Church that runs a Christian school. That does orphanage care that does social services, pays the mortgage for people and cares for them and so on and so forth. Uh, you may have uh, uh, heard the news um, a few, few months ago, a church just up the street from them was bombed on a Sunday morning. Um, and, and he is just just vibrant witness to the life of Christ in the center of one of the most difficult places in the world to live, let alone be a disciple of Jesus, right? And he has multiple sclerosis and just vibrates with the life of Christ in that environment. 
I read one line and my heart just broke. He said, last week, no, last month, we baptized 13 new converts to Jesus. Within seven days, half of them were dead. Now, Jesus says, probably not going to happen to most of you all like that. But if it does, can I just say, there's worse things than being dead. There's worse things than dying. There's worse things than, than having your world fall apart. What if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Here's the flip side. If you have your own soul, you can't lose anything worth losing. You, you can't. It's, it's all in your hands. So he invites us to that today. And I'm, I know that probably the majority are looking across. A lot of you guys have been with us for, for a large chunk of this journey, journey. You've made up your mind about who Jesus is. Maybe some of you last week, I, I kind of get it. He's kind of blurry. But I kind of get it. But I, 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 can I just challenge you again to say yes to this kind of sacrificial living? This is, this is not about Jesus coming in and making whatever is a mess in your life better. It, it might include that, but it might make it worse. You know? Because you're a disciple of Jesus first. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, uh, we sit with this um, passage, and it's just, it's just so um, challenging to me. Because um, I've kind of followed you for good most of my life. Um, and I've got to admit, Lord, I, I, it's so easy to just simply slip into the role of, of these, these twelve. And just want you to make what I think I have better. And I recognize, Lord, as I look at this passage, that you really want to do something entirely other. You know, invite me to a different way of life and living, a different way of negotiating my entire existence. I don't know what the implications are for everybody else in the room. I'm struggling with what they are for me, oh Lord. But I pray as we transition now that you will help us to say yes to that invitation. Even though we have been a disciple for a while like these guys were, we want to say yes, 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 yes to the cross. Yes, if it means it, to rejection. Yes, even to death, because we want to say yes to resurrection. We want to say yes to new life. We want to say yes to world change. We want to say yes to the kingdom of God. So I pray that you would help us in this. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear other messages from the Garden, or if you would like to find out more about the Garden Church, 
check out our website at thegardenlb.org.